Do you believe God wants to use you? That's the question we're asking today. I'm going to try to thread that needle through our entire sermon today. Um, and so uh, we are in the book of Judges. If you're a guest with us, welcome. Thanks for being here. Um, we, are, we go verse by verse through books of the Bible. That's our thing. So if you need a Bible, go ahead and raise your hands. One of our ushers will bring you one. If you don't own one, this is our gift to you. Uh, I think this is one of the funnest chapters in Judges. It's got comedy. It's got everything. Uh, you have to have eyes to see it, and uh, I'm going to try to explain some of it. Some of you will think it's funny. Some of you will be like, why are we making these jokes in church? And some of you will feel like this should get you canceled. I'm just reading the message just so you know. I'm, just t- I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm delivering the mail. I don't write it. And so uh, first question we're asking is, do you believe God wants to use you? That's the big question I want you to, to ask yourself. Does God want to use me in this season, in this day, at this time? this age with my family and my culture and my neighborhood and my city does God want to use me and some of you will immediately go like yes amen I want I want to but then some of you will look at the culture and go man I I want to be used but it seems kind of crazy it seems kind of crazy others of you will go like I want to be used by God but the sin of my past is is just so great and or my family, my upbringing, what's been done to me, or what I have done, like it, you just struggle there. And so we're going to look at three different judges today. We're going to look at three different judges, and they come from wildly different backgrounds. Moreover, we're going to start our time by looking at the, the the Canaanite culture that these these judges are leading God's people in and through. And so let's pick up in chapter three, verse seven. It says, "And the people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord." Now that's been the refrain. They keep doing. They keep doing what's evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asheroth. And therefore, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. It's God's people. And he sold them into the hands of the Cushan Riathium, king of Mesopotamia. The king of Mesopotamia, that's who they sold in, into. Uh, and the people of Israel served this king uh, for eight years. That's the, that's the start of this. And so with that, what I want to do, uh, I want to take a moment and explain the Canaanite culture here. Because you see two gods they served, Baal and Ashtoreth. They will continue to serve these gods. We talked a little bit about them last week. But I, I want to I d- dive a little bit deeper into who they are and, and how they are at work and how you see the same demonic spirits uh, alive in our day and age. And so uh, if you don't know this, uh, we live in a physical world, but there is an unseen world as well. We don't overemphasize the unseen world, the demonic uh, realm, or the, the realm where the, there's angels and demons. Uh, so there's good spirits, bad spirits, God spirits, and, and unholy spirits. And so, but but it is a real realm, and it is, it is they're really active in, 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 the, in the real time and in, in our real space. And so last week we saw Baal and Ashtoreth. We, we talked about the fact that their worship, the worship of them consisted of, of sex and prostitution and even child sacrifice. Uh, but I want to talk a little bit more about it now. The ma- Baal, the male deity here, so they, 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 forced, they went against the God of the Bible. They did what was, quote, evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served or worshipped the Baals, it says, and the Ashtoreths. And so Baal is depicted as the male deity. He's the male deity. Uh, he's a de- Think about demonic spirit. That's he, he's one of the demons. And so Baal literally means bull. And so if you think about God's people uh, in, in, in the Exodus when they made it them for themselves a golden calf, often a calf could be a young bull or a, a young cow, but the point is here God's people were prone to making for themselves statues that looked like cows and worshipped them, right? They got punished for that, so now God's people are showing up in, in, in Judges and they see another cow, Baal, they, they're prone to worship this, this deity, uh, this, this false god, uh, Baal. And so when you see the term Baals, so that's what our text today says, Baals. This is not a 
plural of uh, many um, cows <laughs> or many bulls, what it means is that uh, Baal was, uh, uh, these are other demons that are under the authority of Baal. That's what it is. So it's, it's under the authority of Baal. They represent Baal. For, for example, this would sound more like a classification, uh, a, a demonic classification. We have Baal, who's the chief god, uh, uh, you know, looking like a bull. And there's, there's guys who want to be like him. There's other demons who aspire to, to, to follow in the allegiance under, under Baal. And so this is a grouping and classification. Maybe even think about, about it like a last name. Like this is how they identify themselves. They are with Baal. And so Baal, he, uh, we saw last week that he even uh, reigns over regions in this area. We saw cities named after him. Baal Mount, uh, uh, or the, 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 there was the Mount Baal Hermon. We'll find other locations in the book of Judges that where, where, God, where people have set aside you know, demonic Baal worship and the city has taken their name after them. We're going to see with Gideon that there's actually strongholds of Baal um, in, in the land. And what a stronghold is, is a, uh, um, is a fortified city, if you think about that. It's a fortified demonic uh, a defense up system upheld by the you know demons in in this case the the, the, the those who want to be like Baal so there's a stronghold when when you see a city and judges named after Baal this, it, or you see the word Baals there's this stronghold of demonic influence in this area and so in in what particular way though the, the worship of Baal was for the for prosperity and fertility. So people wanted to get rich. They wanted to get rich. So they wanted to have money. They wanted to have wealth. They wanted to have, they wanted to have success. They wanted comfort. They wanted pleasure. They went to Baal. That's who they went to. That was their God who was going to provide for them the things they need. And, and, and if they needed uh, their, 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 their uh, gardens to be fertile or their wombs to be fertile or any of the things that need fertility, that's who they would go to, Baal. But they would also go to Ashtaroth. That's who we see here. Which this this is a, uh, a a god or a demon god as well a false god a demonic spirit but it, and you see actually when you when you trace the lineage of Astra throughout uh, human history you'll see her pop back up again in the Greco Roman Empire and both the Greeks and Romans had similar gods they had different names but the Greek god which is akin to Astroth, uh was uh, the Greek goddess Venus. And then you had the Roman goddess Aphrodite. These are two, these are the same demonic spirits that keep going from generation to generation. Uh, nothing new under the sun. What Ashtaroth offers, I mean, is a counterfeit to God's design for pleasure and sex. That's what she did. She, she um, often by ways of seduction and, and sensuality. That was, even if you look up, that's why I'm not going to show a picture of her. Like when you look up uh, 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 Ashtaroth, you'll see her depicted in pornographic statues throughout history. That, that was her thing. That was her thing. Um, Moreover, uh, she's often, she would often be seen in local times uh, uh, in, in, in you know, the Mesopotamian time, ancient Mesopotamia, in alehouses, so think bar or tavern, that, that's where she would be enshrined or be uh, put on um, display uh, because she would use seduction and intoxication. So when people go to the bar, what do they want to do? The men want to seduce the women uh, and through intoxication. Like That was her thing. She was behind that. She was behind that. So when you think about our day and age, we see topless bars or sports bars that where women are seductively dressed, you should know that behind what's going on here is the same demonic spirit of Ashtaroth that was present in this day. Like, well, we don't believe in those things anymore. Well, you should. See, C.S. Lewis calls that thinking a chronological snobbery, thinking that you've evolved so far that we are somehow better than the generations that have proceeded before us. 
And what we see over and over through the book of Judges is that like, we are prone to the same uh, seduction to the, the gods of the culture that they were in their day. So we don't need to look at God's people with, in, a, in a sense of like we've evolved past this, but we need to look at, it, look at what's going on with a sobriety and a, and a, and a, and a humility and, and with a warning. We really, there really is a spiritual war out there. And so Baal and Asheroth, they actually work together, same in our day, right? Sex sells, so they're working together, they're in cahoots together. So Asheroth seduces and intoxicates Baal prophets. You see it. And, and if you don't believe me, then well, I'll tell you this. The highest grossing industry, you know what it is in our nation? Uh, higher than the MLB, Major League uh, uh, Baseball, NFL, National Football League and, and, and NBA, the, the National Basketball Association, the, the three big professional sports, what makes more money than all three of those combined? The porn industry. The porn industry is the highest grossing industry in our nation. See, the same demonic spirits that are behind uh, the, the, the Baal and Ashtaroth worship, seducing God's people and judges are at work in our day and age as well. Another practice common in their day and in ours is, was child sacrifice, which is akin to modern-day abortion. Again, suicide deaths in our country, uh, traffic accidents, uh, sickness, cancer, and all infectious disease over this last year, just this last year, totaled in the entire world, totaled 29.9 million people of all those, all those deaths. Abortion just last year alone, 44.6 million it's the leading cause of death, or, or not just nationwide, but globally. So I want you to see the same type of demonic spirits that are behind the culture of the Canaanites are alive and well in our world today. And you can just follow the money, follow the numbers, see what's actually being produced, and you will see that these spirits are alive and well in our day. I have one more for you, though. And this is what, uh, you know, if I, I, what I do each sermon series is I try to get six months ahead and study. And then the week of, I continue to study and look at the culture, see what's going on, and then uh, see if I can study a little bit more to make you know, even more application. This week, I, in reading in some of the, uh, the ancient Mesopotamian literature, uh, found this song, and it's a song with a, 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 of uh, Ashroth's name uh, exists in many different forms. You'll see Asherah, you'll, uh, you'll see other names for her, like Aina, or I don't know how to say it, but that, you know, another name for her. There's this song book, this Mesopotamian hymn book, that says this. I'm going to have to edit the quote because it's like that bad. It says this. When I sit in the alehouse, this is what the, 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 the demon god, false god Asherah says in her own hymn book. She says this. I sit in the alehouse. When I sit in the alehouse, I'm a woman. I'm a, and I'm an exuberant young man. So she's, she's both. When I'm present in the place of quarreling, I'm a woman. A perfect figure. When I sit by the gate in the tavern... I'm a prostitute familiar with the male genitalia is the, what it says. A friend of a man and a girlfriend of a woman. She's non-binary. She's male and female. She, this is her. She's often depicted as a woman, but she d- identifies herself in her own literature as being fluid, non-binary with her gender, and expresses herself in form, all forms of sexuality. See, the, the Asherah spirit is at work in the deconstruction of gender in our nation, this transgender idea. Uh, God made us male and female. The counterfeit is gender fluidity. This is not a new thing. This is an ancient thing. 
an ancient thing. And what's behind it is not just progressive ideologies, it's demonic spirits. And so the idea that we would need to declare our pronouns or to appeal to identify ourselves in any way, if you say, this is how I identify myself, just so you know, that that ideology and that, that rhetoric has crept into the Christian world. It's not neutral. It's not just a progressive human thing. It's demonic. Choosing how you identify yourself is, is, is of the Ashtaroth spirit. Christians, we don't identify as anything. We were made male and female by God. Divine choosing. This kind of garbage that say the doctor assigned me my gender at birth is a joke. God assigned you your gender at conception. It was assigned. We do believe in, in assigned gender. It's just we don't assign it. A doctor doesn't assign it. God does. I get it. That's very offensive in our day and age. But those who are led by the Holy Spirit say, God made me this way. Those who are led by unholy spirits say, I identify as. When we, when we take that posture and go, I identify as, what we're doing is using the rhetoric of demons. We don't identify as anything. We are because God says. And see, our culture is much like the Canaanite culture. And so if you think that God's people in this day and age are not being pressured to conform, then you've wildly lost your mind. They're being pressured to conform. And what do they do? They do conform, and they end up doing what is evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forget the God of the Bible, the God who's rescued them, saved them, redeemed them. I bring all this up not to just, you know, get a, a cool clip for the, the Instagram reels, but to, so that you would see that this is actually the culture we live in. And you were raising children in, and you were doing business in, and you were living life in. And so the same way that we have pressures in our society to not hold the line, they did too, and they failed. They abandoned the God of the Bible. They, for, they, they, had, they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and they forgot the Lord, and they served the Baals and Ashtaroths, and therefore the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. And so our culture might have lost its mind, but it's not the first culture God's people have lived in that has lost their mind. And so the question I really want to ask you again is, do you believe God wants to use you in this, in this mess, in this chaos? Do you believe that God has, has, has made you and set you apart and called you and redeemed you and, and is sanctifying you in this day and in this age for a time such as this? Do you believe that? To be an ambassador to God, uh, 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 for the kingdom of, of, of Christ, for your generation, to contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints, to set a new trajectory, to see captives set free, to help God's people hold the line and not compromise, to take back territory from the enemy. Do you believe God wants to use you for that? I do. But it doesn't matter what I think you, God is calling you to. Do you believe that? Do you want to grab a hold of that? Jesus taught us that the gates of hell could not stand against his church. Could not stand. The gates could not stand. Now, now sometimes we think of the enemy, him advancing, and, and he's, he's advancing. we got to advance with him. No, they, he, it's just, he just sets up gates. That's what he does. That's what a stronghold is. It sets up gates, fortifies a, a territory in, in a region. And so gates, I need you to see this, church, are not offensive weapons. 
They're not offensive. They're defensive. Their, their gates are set aside to guard and fortify, say, land or property or something that's been captured. It's the church that is called to advance against the gates of hell. When they advance against the strongholds of the enemy, the uh, strongholds of the Baals, the strongholds of the Astros, when they advance against them, what happens? They cannot stand against Jesus and his people. They fall. So gates look kind of scary. The walls of Jericho before they marched into the promised land looked scary. When God told them to march around, all they did was march and blow some trumpets. And what happened? It fell. The gates cannot stand against Jesus and his people. Do you believe God wants you to play a part of that? He's willing to knock down the gate. He's not willing. He will knock down the gates when the church advances against the, the, the strongholds of the enemy. And so some of you are like, I want to. But like, could God use a person like me? Could God use a person like me? But we're going to look at three judges today, and they have three different backgrounds. They're likely, uh, they're unlikely folks. They're, there's a mixed bag, really, with them. So let's look at the first one. We got Othniel the Brave. He's the guy who's probably the most, you know, iconic, idealistic, you know, heroic-looking guy. He's the guy who comes from the good background. He had the, he has the good wife. He has, you know, the good trajectory. He had, he had a good start. Um, and, and God's going to use him. And God's going to use some other people too. But Othniel, he's the first. He's the first one we're going to look at. Verse 9 of chapter 3. But when, God, when, the, when the people of, of Israel cried out to the Lord, God raised up a deliverer, this is the judge, for the people of Israel to save them. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. So this is, this is the leader, Othniel the brave. He's a brave warrior that's going to be, that, and we saw, if you remember, uh, we, we saw back in chapter 1 that he, he was used by God to, to capture the city of Hebron back in chapter 1. But his family lineage, what we see here, he's from, he, he's the son of Kenaz, and Kenaz is, the, is Caleb's younger brother. Uh, Caleb was a leader like Joshua. We've spent some time talking about Joshua. Joshua and Caleb were buddies. They were, they were good friends. They worked under the, the leadership of Moses, so they were disciples of Moses. And uh, they, these were men who trusted the Lord. They loved the Lord God. They served him. They were uh, bought into his mission, his, his vision, uh, the Lord's ways. He had, they had zeal. They, had, they were ready. To, they were ready to do what God had called them to do. And so this is Othniel. He's, he's from a, a background where his, his, his line and legacy, his family worshiped the God of the Bible, and they obeyed his commands. And then they, he, they, they love they Jesus, essentially. They, he grew up in a Christian environment. Why don't you think, of, think like that? Some of you, that's your environment. That was you. You grew up in a Christian home. You're raised by godly family. Your aunts, uncles, they all worship Jesus, and you're all kind of going the same direction. And so that's Othniel. And so he was a strong leader because uh, Caleb had put wisdom in, into him, and, and he had developed him, he had trained him, um, and we saw previously that he enlisted him uh, for battle. He was an up-and-coming leader that, that was invested in by those godly men who were before him. We saw also previously in, in, the, in previous chapters, he got married to a woman of faith. She also, from a, a, a godly background, she was a shrewd uh, a helper to him. And she, was a, she was a real blessing to him. So he has a godly, godly lineage, godly marriage, he's, and he's, he's on the mission that God has called him to. So it's, it, he's the guy who makes it real easy to, you know, to, to be enlisted. That's him, Othniel. And it says here in verse 10 that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. The Spirit of the Lord was upon him, and he judged Israel. He went out to war, and the Lord gave the Mesopotamian dude into his hand. And in, in his hand, he prevailed over him, so that the, the land had rest for 40 near, years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. 
The Spirit of the Lord was upon this man. He, the Lord gave him. The, 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 he, he, Lord, the Lord was the deliverer. I want you to see this. There's judges that or, or, or God raises up. But it's really not them who deliver God's people. It's God. The leader is not the hero. It's the God who's, it's God who's behind him who is the hero. See, God uh, is the one who fights and delivers us. He may use us, but he is the true victor. And it says the results here of this mission in, 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 in Othniel's leadership was that they had rest and peace for 40 years. I want you to see this. They had 40 years of, of rest and peace. And in verse 12, what we're going to see is they immediately squander that 40 years of peace. Verse 12. And the, we can't even get to three verses. They're already here doing it again. And the people of, the, of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And the Lord strengthened Eglon, Eglon the king of Moab, against Israel. This is a godless man. His name means bull as well. We're going to see some comparisons a little bit later uh, to Baal. But because they had done what was evil in the sight of the Lord, he gathered to himself the Amorites and the Amalekites and went and defeated Israel. They took possession of the city of Palms and the people of Israel served Eglon, the king of Moab, 18 years. Here's what I want to see here before we get into the, 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 the next man, Ehud, is that God's people squandered their years of peace. Many, many Christians want godly, uh, godly leaders rise up in our nation and lead. We, we see this. Christians are often looking for the, who's the leader, who's going to lead us in, in a way of peace. Uh, but, but here's the thing. It doesn't matter if there's a leader who steps up and leads God's people into a season of peace if God's people squander the season of peace. We talked about it last week, and we'll say it again. It's an issue of failed discipleship. In the years of peace, the work, the work is not over. Keep moving. Keep making disciples. Until Jesus returns, there is no end to the mission. Like, well, it's a great season, a great time in our country. Like, you know, a lot of people are coming to faith. You know, crime's going down. You know, uh, you know the, the economy's doing great. Like, things are going great. What happens in those moments? God's people just coast. Show up to church, drink their coffee, sing their songs, pray with their kids, maybe. But are they, are, they, are they discipling in such a way where they're going, hey, the last generation failed to see this, that the, the gods of this world, that, you know, the Satan is, and his demons will, will, will tend to stick around, and, we gotta, and God has left them so that if, it, to teach us, uh, who, to test us, to see, are we going to obey the gods of the world, or are we going to obey the God of the Bible? Even in times of peace, there's this temptation to worship the gods of the culture, especially when there's prosperity. Oh, man, maybe it's prosperous. Yeah, I know God delivered us, but like, you know, Baal's a god of prosperity, gets seduced back into false worship. Or maybe they're like, you know, I hear, you know, I sense this a lot in our nation that, you know, people were like, we want a conservative leader, we want a conservative president, and that's awesome. But when you get one, cool, are you going to sit around and enjoy four years of false peace? Then your grandkids and your kids and grandkids, and, and they surrender their legacy to the Baals in another generation. See, once again, it says they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. This is deliberate rebellion. As we've seen previously, that this term, once they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, this is deliberate rebellion against the God of the Bible. 
And I want to say this because I, I, I believe in voting. I believe in engaging in the civic sphere. But some Christians think that that's the mission. Get the right guy in office. I'm not suggesting getting the wrong guy in office. I'm saying that that's not the full victory. The full victory is everything in submission to the lordship of Jesus Christ. Everything and everyone, that is the full victory. That's discipleship. Disciple the nations. Teach them to observe and obey all that Christ has commanded. When do we stop doing that? When I return, Jesus says. Full victory is everything in submission to the Lordship of Christ, not just the good economic times, not just quote-unquote peaceful times. We have a mission until Jesus returns. And when we rebel against God, he often raises up pagan nations to overthrow and enslave his people as an act of judgment. We see here, we are going to see time and time again, and I'd say we're seeing it in our day and age too. You don't believe it? Our nation is enslaved. Enslaved. They're not free. We're enslaved to sin. We're enslaved to sex. We're enslaved to self. The same thing they were enslaved to. When God's people forsake his ways, chaos and enslavement are coming. In fact, they're here. And they could get worse. And that's what we're going to see throughout Judges. It does get worse. This is a case study for us to look at and go, you know, there is a way to not, for it to not get worse, to repent, turn, worship Jesus, and continue to teach others to do the same until he returns. So that's Othniel. Heroic man in that day and age, he, he stood up, he followed the Lord Jesus, he humbled himself, he was discipled by great men, and he had a great marriage, and he was one who had courage, bravery, and great leadership. That's Othniel. That's his background. The next guy is Ehud. He's a wild man. He's a wild man. One commentator called him the devious assassin. I call him uh, Ehud the southpaw because he's left-handed. Let me explain. Uh, he, southpaw is a fighting stance. Um, when it comes to the world of MMA and or boxing, like the, the, the left-handed fighting stance is often called uh, 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 southpaw. It's different than the orthodox stance. Uh, and so the, 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 the fighter is typically uh, deceptively hard to defend, especially for a normal... Uh, we have some left-handers in the house, and so, you know, we praise God for you guys. You guys are uh, like this guy, Ehud. Um, an unorthodox type guy. That's, that's how we're going to see him. He's going to do unorthodox type of, of fighting here in uh, chapter 3. So let's get to it. Uh, verse 15. He, this, of all of the judges, this is the most interesting. Moreover, in all three of the judges we get today, he gets a ton of verses. The other guys get a few. The last guy gets one. He's going to get a lot of verses. He's going to get 15. Then the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, and God raised up for them a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjaminite, a left-handed man. And the people of Israel sent tribute to him by uh, Eglon, the king of Moab. So let me point out to this, this guy. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. Why is this important? Up to this point in Judges, the Benjaminites were garbage. Like, they did nothing to honor the Lord. They did nothing. Their, their track record is not great. The, the, the only time they're mentioned in Judges was back in chapter 1, and it was so that it was they, they, they were mentioned to deliberately failing to do their mission on purpose. 
Like that's, who, that's what they're known for. They're, they're known for like, we are God's people, but we will literally lay over and not do his will. Like we edit the scriptures. We, we don't do what his word will and way say. We do the opposite. We're like, we're pro-culture. We, that is the Benjaminites up to this point. And so what I want you to see here is that God uses unlikely people from unlikely places, even from a family lineage that is faithless. So maybe some of you, your grandparents or your great-grandparents, you know, worship the God of the Bible, but maybe your parents or, 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 or your grandparents, at some point, they stopped. They deliberately stopped going to church. They stopped worshiping Jesus. They stopped reading the Bible. They stopped making disciples. And that's your upbringing. You're like, my family was Christian, and now they're pagan. They, my, my family lineage, like, it, there, there's a time where it stops. Like, now I'm a Christian, and I'm going to do God's word well in ways, but like there, there's a point where they're Christian, non-Christian, now we're back Christian. That's, that's Ehud. He's come, he comes from a faithless generation, faithless legacy. Whereas Othniel, he had uh, a great godly men uh, who went before him and discipled him. Ehud did not. And so with that being said, I need to make the point now as we, we're going to read through what happens, and some of you are going to see his tactics and be like, these are pretty awesome. Others of you, like many commentators, will see his tactics and go, this is deceptive, this is ungodly, this is, uh, you're going to be really confused by his tactics. And so there is a debate on whether his tactics uh, were, were godly or not, and there's merit to that debate. There really is, there's merit to the debate, there is, uh, uh, but, but I don't want us to miss this point here, before we get to reading it, is that I won't, don't miss how far Ehud has come. Don't miss how far he's come. He's come from a faithless generation. He's the first generation Christian after generations have stopped following Jesus, the God of the Bible. And so what I want us to see here is that I don't want us to miss that, that no one has obeyed the God of the Bible at all, at all, in the, from the tribe of Benjamin in the book of Judges up to this point. Now, Ehud is going to. So it's going to be easy to look at maybe his tactics and go, man, he was kind of deceptive here. He, 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 he just, you know, he does some interesting stuff. That's what the commentators say. I'm just saying, that's what they say. But I don't want us to miss, man, how far has this guy come? How far has this guy come? He's come from a line and a lineage where no one obeyed the God of the Bible. And he's the only one standing up in his entire tribe. Only one. And so I, you can assess a man or a pastor or a leader. You can assess them. You should. Yes, absolutely. You can examine their actions. But I don't want to miss along the way how far people have come. So if you see other Christians, and you know, in, in your daily walk, you're like, hey, man, they, they got areas to grow. They probably do. Well, walk alongside them with gentleness and then praise God for the progress they've already made. Often we're, we, have a gen, we live in a generation that's just, oh, man, you're, man you're, this is not okay. You, your theology is off right here. I'm going to jump on top. And yeah, but... They used to be like a heretic. Now they're a Christian. Like, let's praise God for the Christian part. Let's work on the, you know, correcting some doctrine along the way. But don't miss the fact that they're now Christians. That's what we see with Ehud. And Ehud made for himself a sword, which is really cool, with two edges, a cubic in length, and bound it on his right thigh under his clothes. If you need a verse for concealed carry, there you go. Um, and he presented the tribute to Eglon, the king of Moab, and now Eglon was a very fat man. He said it, not me. Uh, Eglon, it means young calf or bull. The same commentators that commentated on the fact that, uh, you know, maybe Ehud was devious and he wasn't godly in his methods, they say this. They say, he is a fat cow ready to be slaughtered. That's what they say. They say, that's what, that's what this king is. He's just a fat cow ready to be slaughtered. That's their jokes. That's what they think. 
And I want you to not miss this. There is a point that God is making. Eglon means bull. Baal means bull. This is, God is making a point through here and going, hey, I'm destroying. Maybe he is like a fat calf ready to be slaughtered. That's what happens in in the Exodus when God's people make for themselves a calf. God melts it down, makes them drink it. He's going to destroy the idol. He's going to destroy the king. And when Ehud finished presenting his tribute, he sent away the people who carried the tribute. But he himself turned back at the idols near Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. It's where some people are like, you know, he's being deceptive here. Or he could be being strategic. Uh, and he commanded silence. And all of his attendants went out from the, his presence. And Ehud came to him. And he was sitting alone in the cool of his chamber. And he said to him, I have a message for I have a message from God for you. And he arose from his seat, and, he, and Ehud uh, uh, with his left, took with his left hand the sword from his thigh and thrust it into his belly. And the hilt, which is the end of the blade, uh, went, went after. And the fat closed over the blade, for he could not pull the sword out of his belly, and the dung came out. Like, that's what happens sometimes when you die. Like, you, you know, the dung came out. And then Ehud went out into the porch, closed the doors of the roof behind him, and locked him. So now he's going to flee the scene. It's a wild scene. It really is. It's a disturbing scene for some. And it's some, it's like, oh, this is a pretty awesome scene. Uh, and some of you are like, I just don't know what to think about it. Did God just fat shame this guy? Like, where's the body positivity verses? Like, no, that's the point. Like, it's not there. And some of you are like, well, that's disturbing. That's disorientating. Like, it's kind of vivid. Yeah, that's the point. It's kind of disturbing. God's trying to get our attention. Sin is disturbing. Disturbing. Uh, leading God's people astray is disturbing. And so the scene is a bit comical, though. It really is. If you don't think so, like, you have no humor, and that's okay. And, and I get it. Some of you are like, well, guys think, you know, bathroom humor is funny. Like, they do, because it is. You have two choices in life, like have fun or not have fun. Like, just think about it. Like, he's a very fat man. He gets stabbed. He's so fat that the sword goes all the way in. You can't even see it anymore. You can't even pull it out because the fat's so heavy. He pulls his hand out, and then he poops himself. It's funny. It's funny. Second service won't think it's funny. I promise you. They are not funny, but y'all are. The author wants you to think it's funny. And how do we know this? Well, because he continues in verse 24. He says, this, when he had gone, the servants came, and when they saw the doors of the roof chamber were locked, they thought, surely he's relieving himself in the, in the cool of the chamber. Surely he's on a bathroom break. And they waited until they were embarrassed, and when he had still not opened the doors of the, of the roof of the chamber, they, they took a key and opened them, and there lay the Lord, their Lord dead on the floor. So Ehud's gone. They think this, maybe this dude's napping, maybe he needs privacy. Now it's taking so long. Now the smell will start, you know, kind of, kind of lingering out the door. And now they're going, okay, he's, he must be on the toilet. Uh, they're waiting, they're waiting. Like, okay, this guy, is he stuck? Does he need toilet paper? Like, what, what are we going to do? We got to help this dude out. Like, how much Taco Bell did like, they use? Like, what's the chef cooking? Like, what's going on here? And so finally, finally, they're like, we're going to go check this out. We're going to go check this out. And then they walk in, and then the dude's dead. They're like, yeah, I heard this happen to Elvis too. You know, like, it it can happen. They don't know he's been stabbed. They can't see the sword. This is funny. This is funny. And and, And some of you will be unsure about this, but it's okay to have a little holy laughter. It really is. Because what we're about to read is 
meant to be satirical as well. It continues. Verse 26, Ehud escaped while they delayed. And he passed beyond the idols uh, and escaped to Shirah. And he arrived, when he arrived, he sounded the trumpet in the hill country of Ephraim. Then the people of Israel went down from the hill country, and uh, uh, he was with their leader. And he said to them, follow me, for the Lord has given your enemies, the Moabites, into your hands. For, so they went down after him. They seized the fords of the, the Jordan against the Moabites and did not allow anyone to pass over. Here's the, here's the double entendre, the, the, the satire here. They killed, uh, and they killed at that time more than 10,000 of the Moabites, all strong, able-bodied men, not able to escape. Not one of them could escape. They're so able-bodied. Uh, so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the, the land had rest for 80 years. So this, verse 29, this is, uh, this is satire. It's meant to be, double entendre means there's two ways to read it. There, and so what he's saying in, in this context is either the first meaning could be that they're all so fat, not able-bodied, none of them. Like, not able-bodied. Everyone's waddling around, and like, no one could escape. Just think about it, like, no one could escape. Like, zero people could escape. So it's either that, or like, oh, Israel, they were so strong, but like, we're so good. Like, it, it, those are the two options here. But it's likely that they were just so large and so untrained, so unfit. Like they were the, they, imagine a nation lowering their military standards. Never seen that before. To, you know, their DEI score need to be higher. You know, they got to get a little, you know, little, little public, you know, praise. So they lower their standards. Their men are not ready for battle. Then all of a sudden, you know, the, the enemy shows up and they can't, they can't get their weapon they can't move around. They're just, you know, out of shape. Never seen that before. I'm just saying, it could be. It could be. They were, this is what's happening. This is what he's saying. Like, they're so big. They, they're not able-bodied. And God overthrew them. And so that's Ehud. I mean, like it or not, that's the story of Ehud. Like it or not, that's him. Uh, what's next is Shamgar. Shamgar, the last guy. We have one verse for him. Ehud got 15 verses. And Shamgar gets one. He's a mystery man. Let's hear about him. Verse 31, after him, so after him, uh, Shamgar, son of Anath, who killed 600 Philistines with an ox goad, and he also saved Israel. Like, that's his verse. That's all we got. We, this is all we got. This is all we got here. And so we have this guy. We have Othniel. We know a lot about him. We get to see his upbringing, his background. We get to see his family. We get to see his line of faith. We get to see Ehud. We get to see his left hand. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. We kind of know a little bit more about him. We see, we see this guy, Shamgar. All we know is he's the son of Anath. That's all we really know. And we know his weapon, Anath. And so Anath, this is important, though. This is, is well, it's not a lot. It is something. A son of Anath. Anath is a feminine term, mean, suggesting that that's his mother. So it's not very common. It's not a common thing uh, where an individual warrior or, or anyone in, in, a, in a, a lineage would be named after their, their mother, uh, unless perhaps their, their father is not in the picture. Maybe he, uh, the single mom, who knows what this is. Maybe they're, they're progressive, you know, uh, you know uh, Canaanite culture. Who, I don't know. All we know is this is not normal, but Anath is the, the feminine term suggesting that Anath is his mother, not his father. Uh, who knows? Maybe she, he, he was with the, the, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe, you know, she was alongside the spirit of Ashtaroth, and it's a he. I don't know. I really don't know. We don't know. Um, we do, however, know that the name Anath is connected to 
Canaanite demonic worship with the name Anat. That's another name, but it's this it's, it's goddess of war. So we do know, we do know that Shamgar, likely his heritage included demonic Canaanite worship. Like that was his upbringing. Whereas Othniel, he had, you know, he had a, a legacy of faith. The, uh, uh, Ehud had the Benjaminites who worshipped the Lord, and they, forsook, they, forsake, they had forsaken the Lord, and then he was you know, coming back. He was putting the team back together. And then we have Shamgar, who was raised likely by a group of demon worshippers that, that never worshipped the God of the Bible uh, in his known life. In his known life. His, his, he doesn't know anyone who served the God of the Bible, did not grow up knowing anything about God. That's what we know about, about Shamgar. The last thing we know about Shamgar is his weapon, an, an ox goad. This is a prod, a cattle prod, like poke animals, like oxen, like move them away. It's like a stick. That's what it is. Like he kills 600 Philistines with a stick. This is the MacGyver of the Old Testament. Like he is, like this is, if you don't know that, like you can look that up. Like that's who he is. He uses a, just think, a stick. He killed 600 Philistines. Crazy. Crazy. So what do we do with this? How do we make sense of all this? How do we make sense of all this? We have Othniel, the highly trained soldier, a godly dude from a godly lineage. We have Ehud, deceptive little dagger, stabbed prison shank, stabbed a guy from a faithless legacy. We have Shamgar, raised by his mother, likely uh, a worshiper of demons. He is a farm boy with a cattle prod. That's likely true because he's got a cattle prod. Uh, it, you know, the ox goat, he has a stick. That's what he has. And so God uses all types of people. I want us to see this. doesn't matter your background. doesn't matter your upbringing. God uses all types of people, all kinds of people. He saves them all. He saves them all. Same is true in our day. Doesn't matter your background. Doesn't matter your upbringing. We, everyone on earth can be saved, but by one man, Jesus Christ. See, God uses all types of people. God saves all kinds of people, but only through Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter four, verse eleven and twelve, it's not going to be on the screen. I'll read it for you. It says, "There's there's salvation under no name but Jesus, for there is no other name in heaven." It, and uh, heaven given among men which must be saved, Jesus. Who is the hero? Jesus. Are these judges the hero? No. Jesus is the only hero in the Bible. It is God who saves his people. It's God who delivers his people. It's God who preserves faithful legacies, as we see with, with Othniel. But it's also God who restores faithless legacies, when we see with Ehud. And it's also God who rewrites and starts a new trajectory of legacies that never worshipped him through Shamgar. We see this. God is willing to, to preserve a, a, a family, line, legacy, lineage for generation to come. He's willing to, to see a, a generation that has faltered and become faithless and restore it. We see that he's willing to take a, a man from a, a demonic, counterfeit worship culture, save them, use him, and we get one verse And so all through, all, all, God has done this all. And so what, how Jesus saves us is by, he offers himself as the one who will atone for our sins. What Jesus did is he left heaven, came to earth, put on skin and bones as a man, died in our place as a substitute for our sins. He is our true judge. He is our true deliverer. 
We can't fix the problem. Jesus can. We can't rewrite our legacy. Jesus can. We can't preserve our family of faith. Jesus can. We can't take non-Christians and convert them to Christianity. Jesus can. He may use us, but it's Jesus who gets the glory. It's he's, he's the one who's died. He's the one who's raised. He is covered. And, and some of you will say, well, I, I, I get that. He can use anybody, but, but, but I'm aware of my sin. I'm aware of my shortcomings. I'm aware of it all. See, Jesus has died for your past, your present, your future sins. He's forgiven. He's cleansed you. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, that if, if, if anyone cleanses himself of what is dishonorable, he will be a vessel for honorable use. Used to set apart as holy, useful to the master of the house, ready for every good work. See, it's Jesus' blood that actually cleanses us and makes us fit to be useful, to be used, a vessel to be used for Jesus in his kingdom. So I'm going to ask you the question again, where we started. Do you believe God wants to use you? Like, yeah, I do, but my sin. Well, Jesus' blood cleanses you and readies you. Plead with your soul to look upon the cross of Christ and see that there's more mercy, grace, forgiveness in Jesus than sin in you. Some of you will go, well, my background, my upbringing, my, 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 my schooling, it's just not very Christian. Well, praise be to God, he raises up people like Shamgar. Praise be to God, he can use any of you and will use any of you. God wants to use you in this day. He wants to use you in your family. He wants to use you in your city. He wants, you to use, he wants to use you in your sphere of influence. It doesn't matter about your background. It doesn't matter about your upbringing. It doesn't matter about the sins you've committed or the sins committed against you. Look to Jesus, receive forgiveness, receive redemption, and let him chart a new chapter for you. So we began this whole sermon series, the judges. We looked at Joshua. I'm going to end with this. We looked at Joshua. Joshua was the leader that God raised up to lead his people uh, into the promised land. But before Joshua was the leader of Israel, he and Caleb, another man we saw in our chapter today, he and Caleb were commissioned by the man Moses, the, the, the leader Moses. They, but before they even entered and laid eyes on the promised land, Moses sent Joshua and Caleb and 10 other dudes to go spy out the land. Some of you know this story. And this is what he commissioned them to go spy out the land. And when they went, they saw, they saw the people were tall. There was giants. They were strong. It was fortified. The city was well built. The people were, 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 were not fat like these guys. They were ready for war. They were, they were ready. They, they, these guys looked, they, they said they were so big and so powerful that uh, God's people would look like grasshoppers. That's what 10 of the guys said. That's what the report back to Moses was. 10 of them said, they're too big, it's too hard, it's too scary. Joshua and Caleb, what did they say? They're, let's go. That's what they're like, we're going to do this. We can do it. That was their response. They saw the same giants. They saw the same strongholds. They saw the same uh, fortresses. They saw the same mighty armies as the other 10 spies. And both Joshua and Caleb said, we can take it. We believe God is calling us. We believe we can be used by God for his mission. It wasn't our mission. It was his mission. He's the one who told us to do it. We can do it. And so when you hear the question, do you believe God wants to use you? Do you look around at the culture? 
as they would the Canaanite culture and see that it's too big, it's too scary, the problems are too big, the politics are too huge, the, the people are too uh, uh, you know, deceived. It just seems like a mess and it seems like chaos. And you look at the world around you and you're like, well, I don't even know if, like, does God want to use me? You're like, you don't even know how to answer the question because you look at the city and you might be like the 10 other spies and say, it's just too big. What ends up happening is God doesn't use those 10 spies. He does use Joshua and Caleb. It's not because Joshua and Caleb are great. It's not because they're they're better than the other dudes. It's because they believed that God wanted to use them. Be clear. It's not you who's conquering the enemy. It's Jesus conquering the enemy. It's not you who's pushing back darkness. It's Jesus who's pushing back darkness. It's not you who is demolishing the strongholds of the enemy. It's the Spirit of God in you demolishing the strongholds of the enemy. The question remains, do you believe? Do you believe that Christ wants to use you? Do you believe that? Will you be the type of man or the type of woman, as we'll see next week with Deborah, who God will raise up and say, yes, we can take it, Lord. God, if you're with us, then the gates of hell hell cannot prevail against the king's kids on the king's mission. Do you believe that? I believe that. I believe that for our church. I believe that for our day and age and our, and our role in, in this city. But it doesn't matter what I believe. What do you believe? Do you believe that God wants to use you? Do you believe that God wants to use you? If you're, if you're like Othniel, you are a man or a woman who has been well-trained in God's word, his will and ways, you come from a family of faith, if that's you, continue on, continue forward, carry the fire forward, keep going. And if you are like, like uh, Ehud, you come from a family who knew the Lord and uh, willfully walked away from the God of the Bible, like the, like the Benjaminites, will you begin again? Will you rebuild? Will you see what God will do through you? And if you were like Shamgar, you come from a line and a legacy and a lineage that, 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 that never worshiped the God of the Bible as far back as you can trace. But Jesus has saved you. Like he saved Shamgar. No one would expect, and some of you are like, man, God, no one would have expected God to save me and transform you and use you for his glory. If that's you, then rejoice and be glad that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. Celebrate that. Press on. Let's be used by God for his glory, his namesake, for, for, the, for the good of the city and the glory of God until Christ returns. We're about to take communion. Pastor Alex will come up and lead us through that, but I'm going to pray first. Lord Jesus, I thank you for these men and women. I thank you that you have called each and every one of us to be about your word, your will, your ways, your mission. You want to use us. You've, you've dealt with our sin, past, present, future sin, so it's, there's no sin that, that, that is that is that has not been died for, that has not been dealt with, that has not been forgiven. May we cast our sin, cast our anxiety, cast it all on you in faith and press forward, empty hands, being willing willing to be used by you for whatever you want us to do. And Lord, may we uh, continue to march forward regardless of our upbringing and, 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 and trust that you will continue to deliver your people, preserve your church, advance your kingdom, and that the gates of hell will not stand against Christ, you, your kids, or your mission. So may we march forward with confidence. May we approach you with confidence. May we respond right now with confidence. In Christ's name.